With a fast start to his NFL career, James Houston is a perfect ambassador for HBCU football, and Mississippi Valley State wide receivers should be excited about the hiring of Kendrick Wade. Oh yeah, it's Locked on HBCU. Play my music. You are Locked on HBCU, your daily podcast covering HBCU sports. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on, family? Welcome back to another episode of the Locked on HBCU podcast, your number one. Daily one-stop shop for everything HBCU athletics, Monday through Friday, part of the Locked on podcast network, your team every day. And I, of course, am Darian Gray, a.k.a. the Mouth of the South, Texas Southern alum and former TSU Herald Sports editor. Thank you for going on this journey with me, making Locked on HBCU your first listen of the day every day and remember just because the mic cuts off does not mean that the journey is over it just means it's time to follow me on twitter at south exclusives and don't forget the s on the end if you're on the audio side of things and i'm gonna talk about james houston because to me he is a great ambassador for hbcu football specifically i was gonna say athletes but specifically hbcu football i could even say he's a prime example of an hbcu story if you uh see what i tried to do there but here's my take on hbcu football in the lenses of others, right? Just how others view. For others to respect HBCU football, I think they need to see more professional athletes. You know, they need to see it. They need to feel it. They need to not be able to deny it. That goes for critics. That goes for prospects. This doesn't really go for people within the community, right? Because more likely than not, if you're listening to this show, you're probably already believing in HBCU football, HBCU basketball, HBCU athletics. You're probably already bought in. But you probably also know a couple of people who are either on the fence or aren't bought in. And those are the people that I'm speaking to because they need to see it work. And work means be professional. You look at all of the colleges who get the most love. Why, why do they do that? It's not because they're big and have high enrollment. Right. There's power five schools that don't get love. Let's just be real. There's power five schools who don't get love. The reason that's the case is because all the love goes to the schools who produce a lot of athletes. LSU is not a incredibly respected basketball school. You know, they don't produce a lot of basketball players. They are in football. So how much you produce kind of lends itself to how much you're respected. Now, we got a lot of in university institutions here to pick from, but I think that's what people need to see. They need to feel it. They need to not be able to deny it. And I think James Houston is a great example of people who can be in your face. And listen, with all respect to the OGs, right? Because we got a lot of love for them and they're legends. I would never take anything from them. I don't want to hear about them right now because the young guys, they're not really respecting that. You know, how many how many wide receivers at 18 years old you think can be convinced to go to Mississippi Valley State because of Jerry Rice? They're trying to go to Bama because of Julio. They're trying to go to LSU because of Chase and, and Jefferson, right? They're trying to go to these schools. They're trying to go to Ohio State because of Olave and, and Marvin Harrison Jr. They're trying to go to these schools because these are the players that they look up to. These are the players who have been at a high level, and they want to go to the places where they were at. So we need younger players. And I've preached this before, and I will, I'll continue to beat this drum. And I don't think this is disrespectful to the legends and the players who came earlier. Like, before I was born, there's no disrespect to them. But you got to be able to have a cycle. 
because young players have to see younger guys doing it so that they want to go to the school, right? So when James Houston graduates from Jackson State and he's an impactful player, now the next defensive end wants to go to where he went and next defensive end want to go to where he went. And now uh, cornerbacks want to go to South Carolina State because they see Kobe Durant. He's out here balling, ADR pick six, and then they want to go. And it's a cycle where you produce somebody, somebody sees that production, they want to go to that place, and then they're the next production. And it keeps going and keeps going and keeps going. But let me tell you why I think he's a great ambassador, because that's just a spiel on why I think HBCU football needs more professional players that people can't deny because they're there. It's not as if they don't produce or excuse me, that, yeah, that they don't produce NFL players, but there's more caveats to it. There's more than just being the NFL, right? There's more to it. And I want to explain why Houston checks all the criteria and why he is a great example of an HBCU ambassador. So, the first thing, the first thing is he's young, right? We talked about that. He just graduated from H, from an HBCU, right? The second thing is he has to, he has to be synonymous with an HBCU. There's a lot of players in the NFL who aren't really synonymous with their school. They went to the school, yeah, but like even when it comes to Sunday Night Football introductions, some of them don't even say they're college, you know? I I feel like maybe it's because he just got out of school. Maybe it's because of the attention that are on HBCUs right now. But I feel like a lot of times when I see James Houston, I see Jackson State attached. I see the mentioning of his school, right? And those things are important because you have to remain that connection. You have to retain that connection and say, all right, James Houston is balling. James Houston is a Jackson State product. Don't dare say it's a Florida product. But Jackson State product, James Houston, and I see that frequently. So the fact that he's synonymous with his school is important. Because the love that he gets now is kind of residually given to his school. Even subconsciously, it's the idea that, oh, okay, cool. We remember that. He went to Jackson State. Then the next thing is success. That's the most important thing, right? Because you can be a young guy who is synonymous with your school, but if you don't have success, nobody really cares. And that doesn't make you an ambassador. These are all reasons he's an ambassador without ever having to speak. He never has to speak for real. It's just his play on the field. I don't want to be cliche, but it's his play on the field that I feel like makes him an ambassador. You look at the fact that in six games, he has eight sacks, which is an NFL record for the most sacks in your first six games of playing. It makes you wonder how he was on the practice squad. You know, but you look at, matter of fact, you look at the Detroit Lions right now, and they drafted Aiden Hutchinson top five. And in six games, James Houston has more sacks than Aiden Hutchinson. And this is in no way to discredit Hutchinson. I think he's been really good. I think he's been really good this year. Yeah, one of the wildest interceptions I've seen in a long time. And he did that as a defensive end. So I do think he's going to be a special player. This is just a point to say how prolific James Houston has been. Eight sacks in only six games. You know, if he would have played more, he likely would have hit the double digit. And I'm not even going to rule it out. He might get two sacks in his final game. That would be nice, wouldn't it? A 10-sack season. And then the last thing that he needs is visibility. And this is what he has over all of his fellow rookies. Like over all of his fellow rookies, he has visibility because you have two defensive backs and one offensive lineman in his draft class, right? Those aren't highly visible positions. I'm sorry. I think that cornerback is a, an important position, but if the cornerback isn't being thrown at, you don't know what they're doing. So it's not a, I'm talking about on the broadcast copy. It, it's not a, a incredibly visible position. Meanwhile, Houston plays defensive end. Every near sack he gets, every slightly good play he makes, I see all of it. If a cornerback, if Jacoby Durant, 
who is not the star cornerback on the team, right? If Kobe Durant has this guy clamped up and they don't throw it his way, I promise you, you're not going to know. They're likely not even going to highlight what he's doing because he's not Jalen Ramsey. Meanwhile, you look at James Houston, he doesn't need to be Aiden Hutchinson because even if he gets a hand on that quarterback, oh, we see James Houston. If he makes a run stop, we see James Houston. If he makes a sack, of course we saw James Houston. Everybody sees him to probably even play a highlight or a replay of it. But that visibility is important. That visibility is a factor in whether or not people are going to continue to have their eyes on him. So when I look at James Houston, He's a young guy, synonymous with Jackson State, who has an NFL record for the most amount of sacks in his first six games of his career, and then he's visible every single play. He's a great ambassador. He never has to speak. You know, Darius Leonard, excuse me, Shaq Leonard, Shaquille Leonard, does a great job of speaking on South Carolina State. He's an all-pro, right? So that, that's the top tier of HBCU ambassadors right now, right? Teron Armstead does a great job of speaking. I think he's up there in that top tier as well. James Houston is right now on this fast start, if he can retain it, looking like he can be a great ambassador because when we see Jackson State alum, James Houston play, you know exactly where he went to school. You see exactly what he's doing. And the hope is it becomes a cycle where people want to replicate it and they go to Jackson State because they like James Houston. That's the hope. And right now his play on the field is at the worst, doing a great job promoting and being an ambassador for HBCU football. And going forward, we're going to continue in this realm of HBCU football. And we're actually just going to shift uh, in the state to Mississippi Valley. And I think they made a great hire with Kendrick Wade and all of the wide receivers should be excited. Before I get into that, today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online, And Bet Online is the number one place for all of your sports wagering. Listen, doesn't matter if it's football, doesn't matter if it's basketball, soccer, hockey, MMA. I was watching some John Jones trash talk highlights. Oh my gosh, this guy was phenomenal. And I just remember he, he should be coming back soon. So when you put some money down on that game, on that fight, you can put some money down on any of the basketball games, any of the NFL games. And these are just the number one place to do it. I was talking to my friend about betting um, last night. And I was like, man, look, I hear you talking about you want to go X, Y, and Z, go to bet online. Doesn't matter if I'm on air or off air. I'm telling you all the time to go to bet online because it's the fastest. Um, it's the easiest. It's the most versatile. I mean, what else can I say? Bet online, where the game starts. As we keep on rolling on today's episode of Locked on HBCU, I appreciate you for making us your first listen of the day. Every day for your second listen of the day, check out Locked on Sports Today with Peter Bukowski and all of the local experts that he brings on to break down the biggest national stories every single day. Now I want to talk about Mississippi Valley State head coach Kendrick Wade. He has just been hired and there's nobody who should be more excited than the wide receivers at Mississippi Valley State. Now, Wade is a former player a former Mississippi Valley State coach. So he is actually returning for the second time, right? He was a player at first, then he returned as a coach. Now he's returning as the head coach. He was the wide receiver coach at the time. And honestly, this is, if you're a wide receiver, this is the moment to rejoice. This is the moment to be excited and say, yes, because I think there's a good chance that wide receiver play shoots through the roof under Kendrick Wade's lead. Let me tell you who these wide receivers have been underneath Kendrick Wade. At Briarcliff University, all-conference wide receiver. 
He comes to Mississippi Valley State for two years, two all-conference wide receivers. He goes to Fort Valley State. He turns Shamar Bridges into an all-conference wide receiver and then an NFL draft prospect who was then signed by the Baltimore Ravens. He goes to Delta State where they have a prolific and explosive offense and he has a yet another all-conference wide receiver. Do we see the trend? Every school he goes to has one of the best wide receivers in the conference. Are we supposed to act like that's an accident or act like that's a coincidence? At this point, this is a trend. Happened once, it happened. Happened two times, interesting. Happened three times, it ain't really starting to be an accident or coincidence. This is a trend. It's repeated. He's had one, two, three, four, five all-conference wide receivers. So, yes, I think that Mississippi Valley State should be excited to have Kendrick Wade. But there's nobody who should be more excited than those wide receivers because we've seen what he can do. We've seen what he's been about. We've seen how everywhere he goes as a wide receivers coach, the wide receivers tend to tick up. If you want to look at whether or not they tick down, let's look at Mississippi Valley State itself. He was the wide receiver coach here in 2017 and 2018. In 2017, he had a wide receiver who was a leading receiver in the SWAC, had nearly 900 yards. They have yet to reach that number since. Right in the numbers after him, they've been close. You know, have some in the under 400. Talking about leading wide receivers, not just total, of course. Because woo, 800 yards passing on a season would be terrible. <laughs> but but just the leading receiver, you haven't had that guy. But now under Wade, I do have the feeling that you can develop somebody into being that guy. That's the excitement, right? So let's look at Delta State. Delta State was 40 points a game, 400 yards a game. Hey. Mississippi Valley State felt they wrath earlier this year. They got knocked off by Delta State. They were one of the best D2 teams. And Wade was the wide receiver coach on there. And he's been a positional coach his whole time in the collegiate ranks. So it'll be interesting to see what his game plan looks like now that he's the shot caller. right? Because he hasn't even been an offensive coordinator. So it's not as if we have a perfect picture of what he, want his offense, he wants his offense to look like. And I don't mean that disrespectfully or anything like that. It's just the fact that we don't know what his plan would be. We have an idea of what he's been a part of and maybe pulled some things from there. And, you know, that's how you do in coaching. You pull things you like. Oh, I like this play. I like this style. And this is what we're going to run. But we'll see. It's unknown. It's unknown. There's not much film on what his offense will look I guess there's no film on what his offense will look like. So it'll be an exciting start to begin the season. They have it. They'll practice it in spring ball. And he's worked his, his way up the ranks. Right? So he was a player. He ended up going to the middle school ranks, high school ranks, worked at the college. He was a uh, wide receiver coach. He's shown himself to be a pretty good wide receiver coach and the fact that his wide receivers continue to produce underneath him. Okay. Now he's a head coach at Mississippi Valley State. And I love when players come back to their alma mater and coach because you know they're going to have buy-in. You know they're going to be completely invested in the success of this program with very limited outside distractions. At this point, it's just a matter of if he's a good coach or not. I feel like when, when coaches go to their or players go to their alma mater to coach, the only thing stopping them is their own skill set. It's not a distraction. I want to go here or here. No, this is my school. It's like you said, I dreamed of this before it was a reality. This is something he always wanted. So you go back and you coach your school. The only thing stopping you is whether or not you're a good coach. And that's what we'll see. If they're not good, it's because he's not a good coach. Or, well, there's a lot of extenuating circumstances. Same thing with Dancy, but y'all get the point. If, if, if there's nothing else to distract him, it's all on him as far as what he wants to do, what he wants to be. 
and this is exactly where he wants to be, we'll see what he can do while he's here. But if I'm a wide receiver, I'll say it again. I'm extremely excited. And as a just a, a watcher, a viewer, me, I'm excited to see what the passing game looks like underneath Coach Wade. We'll see. Wide receivers and, and, and quarterbacks should be very excited about this hiring and just with anticipation of what it can be and what they can create it to be together. Now, going forward, we're going to switch gears and we're going to talk about basketball because it was a thrilling night in the SWAC conference opening night with three games that were decided in the last 20 seconds. We'll talk about that as we continue with Locked on HBCU. As we're wrapping up today's episode of Locked on HBCU, shout out to all my people who made it to segment three. Much love to you. I want to talk about opening night for SWAC basketball because it was thrilling. I'm, speak, I'm speaking specifically on the men's side. Women's had some good games, but these three men's games came down to the last 20 seconds, including one buzzer beater. And this is how you want to kick off conference season because it's exciting. And I've said this before. SWAC basketball has is, is got something this year. It's got something this year. And I think that this opening night was a good example of that. So let's go ahead and look at these three games that either came down to the last shot or the second to last shot. Three of them in one night. <sighs> Southern versus Texas Southern. I think I can tell by my side who lost this game. Of course, it's TSU. I'm tired of being on the losing end of this, but it's okay because we play basketball and these things happen. Yeah, you know, I ain't going to make no excuses, but. We had some, some high scorers out, and we had a freshman who dropped 30, right? We had some freshmen who dropped 30 in his first swag opener. You know, we'll, we'll see Grambling on, on Thursday. Is it Thursday? I think so. No, I actually think it might be tomorrow. Actually, I think it is Wednesday. I think it's Wednesday the 4th. Um, but anyway, let's get to the matter at hand. Texas Southern did lose. I guess Southern got their little, little get back for the game out there in Arlington earlier this year. So it's all right. Uh, but yeah, man, this came down to the very last shot and this was thrilling. It went into overtime. So if overtime games weren't enough drama for you, it comes down to the last shot in overtime where Texas Southern is up one point and they're at the free throw line. They go one of two and they missed the second, right? So when you miss the second, Southern didn't have any time out. They push, they push the floor because there's only six seconds left in the game. So they push, they push, they push and they make it past half court and the player pulls up for a three and he knocks it down. Now, if he would have pulled up for two, he went into second overtime, but he pulled up for three, and he knocks it down with half a second left, and Texas Southern loses that game. That was a phenomenal game. It was very thrilling. The wide, I mean, the wide receiver, I'm still thinking about uh, Coach Wade, but the player, he was able to make it all the way down the court, knock down that shot, and break my little Texas Southern heart. So, shout out to you, Southern. That was a phenomenal win and a nice little uh, victory. It was a, a hotly contested matchup. We'll see you in Baton Rouge later on this year. Uh, but then you switch gears to the other Louisiana team versus the other Texas team. And I guess my my Texas pride is somewhat repaired, I, I guess. I mean, not that I wanted stinking prairie view to do it, but they were able to knock down or knock off Grambling. Knock down and knock off Grambling. I was talking about them yesterday, right? But they were able to do that on a, on a shot with 17 seconds left. And this was the game that I highlighted because I know what I said about Grambling. And like I said... It was at the moment. I stand by it. I stand by it because it was at the moment. And they needed to be able to prove that they deserved to retain it by knocking off Prairie View and knocking off Texas Southern. And they simply did not do it this first time around with Prairie View. This was a good game. And, and Grambling had the lead for the majority of the game, right? Especially in that second half. You look at the second half, they had the a 15-point, I believe, uh, lead. 
with about 12 and a half left, and it just got chewed away, chewed away, chewed away, because they went freezing cold. I don't know why, but they could not buy a bucket, period. And in the last 12 and a half minutes of the game, Grambling outscored, or, or Prairie View outscored Grambling 29 to 13, and that's how they were able to come back. Because it got real close. They even took the lead late in the game. Grambling fought back. They took the lead. But then with 17 seconds left, you knock down a bucket. And now it puts you up 61-60, which is our final, because Grambling missed the last shot of the game. But that period in which Grambling was surviving off of strictly free throws, because they couldn't buy a bucket, that came in to cost them. Prairie View was able to continue shooting, and they continued to increase their shooting percentage. And they were knocking down shots. And when it came down to it, at the end of the game, the last two shots, Prairie View was knocking down shots. They knocked down their final shot. Grambling was cold, and they missed their final shot. That last 12 and a half minutes was indicative of the last shot by each team, right? And then the last game that I want to highlight, because it also came down to the wire and was decided in the last 20 seconds, and that was kind of the parameters for these three games. And, you know, Texas Southern versus Southern was the most thrilling because it was basically a buzzer beater. It was only half a second left. But these other two games were very thrilling as well. You look at Jackson State versus Alcorn and the, and the comeback that Jackson State was able to make. Man, they were down basically the whole game. It was always tight. Grambling, or excuse me, Jackson State was never leading, though. After the first 10 minutes of the game, they did not lead until the last bucket. But they got it. And Alcorn had control of this game pretty much the whole time. Anytime that Jackson State tried to fight back, the lead was then extended. All of these things continued to happen until the very end. Until the very end. When they knocked down a three-pointer. And let me tell you about the adjustments or the improvements, I should say, that Jackson State was able to make in the second half. And that's where they were able to win. In the first half, both teams did not shoot well. It was defensive. They both only scored about 20 points. It was not a, a great offensive half for either of those teams. They didn't shoot the ball particularly well, specifically Jackson State. But then in the second half, Jackson State put up less shots than they did in the first, and they made more. They went from shooting about 28%. I believe, the shooting in the 60s in the second half, right? So there was a complete 180 of what they were able to do. You look at the three-point shooting. They missed every single three-pointer they took. They took nine three-pointers in the first half and missed them all. In the second half, they took eight three-pointers and knocked down four. Ironically, one happened to be the game winner, but the difference in how they were able to shoot the ball was a huge difference maker in the game. That improvement from the first 20 minutes to the second 20 minutes is hard not to point to it and say that's why they won. Both teams had an offensive explosion in the second half, went from 20 points to 40 points, both of them. But Grambling, why well, don't keep on the com conflating two? But Jackson State just improved more. And it led to a last second shot with 11 seconds. I won't say last second, but 11 seconds. You knock down the three pointer and you win the game. It's kind of, honestly, it was kind of similar to Texas Southern in that sense, where. Alcorn had a two-point lead. Jackson State knocked in a three, took a one-point lead, and it was all she wrote. So those are the three thrilling games from SWAC opening night. Oh, my gosh. I hope that the season continues like this. HBCU Go will be at Jackson or will be on – oh, it'll be at TSU versus University of Arkansas Pine Bluff on Saturday. Yeah, that's the game. But HBCU Go is the go-to place, man. Y'all got to tune into them because they're going to have a lot of games that are broadcasted and a lot of games you can check out, both men's and women's. 
So it's going to be kind of double headers basically every time. So I'm excited to watch those games and I'll be tuned in. You need to do the same. The same way that you make us your first listen of the day, make them your last watch of the night on those uh, nights that you have games. So I appreciate that for being your first listen. For your second listen, make sure you're checking out Locked On Sports today. You don't even have to change the app. You can stay right here where you are. Just type in Locked On Sports today. And when I finish talking, click send and click play. It's just that simple, right? On tomorrow's episode, we're going to ask the question, what's going on in Bethune-Cookman? Why am I not hearing anything about Ed Reed after hearing he was going to be the coach? And am I the only person who's concerned about that? It's a lot of questions, but we're breaking down on tomorrow's episode of Locked on HBCU. In the meantime, in between time, I appreciate you for making us your first listen of the day every day. Until next time that we hear each other family. Take care. Stay blessed. Peace.